Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Duval, welcome back to another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Losers, the lot of you, or at least that's what Urban Meyer would have you believe. Today we'll talk about all things Urban Meyer, Shad Khan, the future of the Jaguars, talk a little draft, obviously we'll talk some football, take a look back at week 14, a week ahead to just what is a riveting matchup between the Texans, and the Jaguars this weekend at TIAA Bank Field. Jeremy, uh, I don't need to ask how you're doing, but I'm going to do it anyways. How the heck are you? Hey, man, I'm still here. You know, it is what it is. The Jaguars can't bring me all the way down. They can only bring me so far. I mean, we're, we're pretty we're pretty far down to the bottom right now. I'll give you that. But uh, there's only so, you know, so far low that you can go when it comes to a sports team, but yeah, I mean, is there really any interest in watching this game at all on Sunday? I mean, it's just, it's not like the worst matchup in NFL history. I kind of get that vibe. It's gotta be up there, right? I yeah. Mean, I mean, we're, we're averaging less than two touchdowns. They're averaging less than two touchdowns when it comes to points per game. I mean, Davis Mills is, I mean, truthfully, honestly, not that much worse than Trevor, but they're both pretty bad right now. Yeah. There's been some encouraging stuff I've seen on film from Davis Mills, you know, like Trevor, he doesn't have a whole lot to work with. He does have Brandon Cooks, which is awesome <laughs> um, for him, obviously. But outside of that, yeah, we not we, a ton of threats. We definitely know what quarterback has more upside. We're still, you know, obviously not in the uh, Trevor Lawrence is on the same playing field as Davis Mills discussion. However, oh. uh, there's no, there's no, there's just no drive. There's no draw to this game. Like, I mean, to be honest with you, on Sunday. By about the third quarter, I had to turn that one off. I think Trevor threw his second or third interception at that point. Maybe it was second. It was just so bad. I don't even want to watch it. And I've never – this is the first time in my entire life that I've never gotten through an entire Jags game. And, and that's <laughs> that's the God's honest truth. This is the first time that I've ever stood up, flipped the channel, and walked away and started doing something else because it was that hard to watch. Yeah, well, we will get into the football talk but, I mean, there's a lot of drama going on right now in Jacksonville between Urban Meyer, Shad Khan, all that stuff, all the reports coming out from national media. Uh, 
it's a lot to get into, and we're going to do that in just a second. I'd like to remind you to check out ginjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. And, of course, we'd like to thank Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street or their original tap room over on Roselle in Riverside. Um, let's just get right into it here, Jeremy. By now, I think everyone knows about the damning reports coming out. Um, Tom Pelissero, NFL.com. This is probably the most revealing report we've had in terms of actual information that has come out, uh, basically berating assistant coaches, challenging them to present their resume, uh, calling them losers, according to Tom Pelissero, shouting matches with team leader Marvin Jones. Uh, Apparently, he lied about the entire benching of James Robinson. He's the one that pulled James Robinson. He's the one that made Bernie Parmalee uh, hold James Robinson out of the game, even when Carlos Hyde needed some rest. He is the one uh, behind all of this madness, it it appears. And Trevor Lawrence went up to him um, during that game against the Titans, or excuse me, against the... um, Gosh, now I've lost my train of thought. Who was it against? Rams. Against the Rams. Yes. Against the Rams. And Trevor Lawrence kind of persuaded Urban to get James Robinson back in the game. James Robinson, one of the best players on the team. Maybe the best player on the team. Urban Meyer is uh, just not having it here. And just lying straight up to the media's face, it appears. Of course, Urban Meyer denied calling his coaches losers. He said he's very tough on his coaches. He's very demanding of the coaches. Um, he denied the shouting matches with Marvin Jones. Um, of course, Marvin Jones hasn't been made available to speak. And, you know, last week when Urban threw Bernie Parmley under the bus, he wasn't made available to speak either. So there's a lot going on just with this Tom Pelissero report. Um also, Tony Pauline of Pro Football Network. And again, both these guys are very level-headed. They're not just searching for stories. They're not just trying to slam the Jaguars. Uh, NFL.com, this is not an unreputable website. It's a branch of the NFL. If they're reporting a story, there's a lot of validity to it. And Pro Football Network, Tony Pauline, he's another guy that's always been very fair towards Jacksonville. He's not like a... a JLC type of guy or Michael Lombardi or anything like that. Tony Pauline came out and said that um, pretty much everyone has turned against Urban Meyer in the locker room and that it wouldn't, the, his sources say that it wouldn't surprise them to see Urban get fired this week or after uh, if they lose to the Texans. I mean, where do you stand on all this before we get into shot Khan coming to town on Monday and kind of, uh, talking but not saying a whole lot what do you, what was your feelings prior to all the shot con stuff uh, speechless i mean quite honestly speechless there's so much to unpack here every you know turn has a different twist and and another layer to kind of unravel from this saga i mean some of the stuff you know that happened in the beginning of the season with the hiring of, of Chris Doyle and with, you know, the Cincinnati incident. Some of that stuff just almost seems irrelevant now because there's been so much that's happened since then that you almost forget that some of that kind of stuff happened. 
it's just it just goes to show that time after time after time, Urban Meyer has completely um, outdone himself in a bad way, in a worse way, with the way that he's mishandled this franchise, mishandled this team. Is clearly not ready for the NFL. Uh, you know, thinks that he sits on a higher pedestal than than anybody else in this room. When let's be honest, none of you have done anything at this level. And some of the guys that are there in the locker room have done more than you, Urban. Let's just face it. You, this is your first year in the NFL. It's not to say that you're a bad coach. It's not to say that you haven't done anything in the game of football. But it's just a fact of the matter. This is your first year in the NFL. You have done nothing in the NFL up to this point. So it would be you know, just blasphemous to give him any sort of credit outside of that. Sure, you're a great football mind. We know what you can do. We know how much you love the game, what you know about the game. But the NFL is a different animal. It always has been and always will be. You know, that's that's why we see so many struggles with, with college coaches and outside sources, you know, coming into the league. There's nothing like the NFL until you experience it. You can never be fully ready. Um, you know, going back to the James Robinson benching, because that's really, you know, where this, at least this part of the Urban Meyer saga, whatever you want to call this, part three, part four, wherever we're at now in the major controversies that Urban has stirred up in Jacksonville, you look at it and you say, okay, look, Back-to-back games, James Robinson fumbled the ball. I have no problem with the fact that James Robinson was pulled for fumbling the ball. I have problems with 16 plays, 20 plays. Seems to be a little excessive for a guy who does not fumble. Historically, hadn't fumbled in his career up until that first one uh, two weeks ago. Now, here's the thing. Belichick benches his guys. Tomlin benched. Claypool for, you know, some unsportsmanlike conduct stuff in the first quarter of the Steelers game last week. This is nothing new. This happens in the NFL. Don't put the ball on the ground. But when that happens, you have to own up to it. You can't start this, oh, I don't know, I don't know. You know, you, you can't do that. Just own up to it. Hey, yeah, you know, we, we can't turn the ball over. That's a good way to get your team behind in games, and that's why he sat for a series or two. Okay, cool, understand, totally. Well, what about when Carlos Hyde fumbles and he doesn't hit the bench? What about when LaVisca Chenault is directly you know, responsible for an interception on Sunday when a ball hits him right in the hands and it goes right through his hands into the chest of a linebacker? Where's his benching? Andrew Norwell had three holding penalties on Sunday. Where's his benching? It's just inconsistent. And then to see the reports of you know the the abrasive behavior of Urban Meyer in the locker room and in on uh, the facility property with the coaches and the players and this and that and it, it just it's so much and it, it eventually comes to the point where where there's smoke there's fire and like you mentioned these aren't little beat writers and little you know local media members that are you know kind of bringing to light these stories you hear rumblings of things all the time you do and and most of them don't have credit to it but when the NFL Network. And some of these mainstream reporters start coming out and reporting this stuff. There's going to be fire where there's smoke. There's fire, especially with these sources. Like you said, they're not out trying to make a name for themselves. They're not out here trying to further themselves in in their field and in their career. They've made it already. They work for the NFL. There's nothing for them to gain by releasing this information. Now, obviously you get the notoriety and the attention, but it it doesn't further. Pelicero doesn't need. He doesn't. Right. It doesn't further you. (laughs) <laughs> now, I mean, there, there are certain things you want to look at here and say, okay, I, I can see Urban Meyer as being an intense coach. I can see him as demanding accountability, and I'm okay with that. Go demand accountability. The receivers are playing like crap. Demand accountability. But there's certain ways you go about it. You don't bash them in the media, which 
prior to that, you know, the report said that Marvin Jones had some issues with uh, Urban Meyer and the way that he expressed um, the fault of the offense on the shoulders of the receivers in public light. I didn't really get a grasp on that beforehand. And Maybe I missed it. Okay, so if that is well, privately. Uh, if that's the case, it's all about how you present that. You know, I'm okay with you holding guys accountable for their poor play. Because let's be honest, no one thought we'd be here right now. We haven't seen any changes in the offense. We know it's become stagnant. We know you've lost players, and you had a scheme built around certain players: DJ Chark, Jamal Agnew, Dan Arnold, Travis, Travis Etienne, obviously, as you brought him in. I mean, and that was even before the season even started. You never tried to replace that. So there is some validity here in these concerns and, and why that you would want to hold these guys accountable and, and maybe you know get under their skin a little bit, but you've got to do it the right way. And if this is true, if any of this is true, it's just not the way to do it. He should be fired immediately. You can't, you can't do that. What have you done? You haven't done anything either, Urban. You haven't done jack squat. So you can't come at these guys that way. And if, like I said, if any of this is true, it's got to be an immediate firing. You cannot harbor this kind of culture and expect guys to play for you. Expect free agents to want to come play for you. You know, you just you can't do that. And when where this franchise is as a whole right now, you're not going to foster a lot of success if this is the culture that you're bringing. Yeah, there's no question about it. Uh, beyond the cultural issues that have been created here. He's also leading a 2-11 and team with a completely broken offense that is unable to help Trevor Lawrence and a defense that's kind of holding on for dear life just with that offense not being able to do anything. This is beyond the drama. It is a terrible football team. Absolutely horrendous. Yeah, it just... Where 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 do you get the cojones, the wherewithal to 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 act like this? And as this stuff has come out, you know, as more stuff has been leaked, there's you know certain people in certain chat rooms. I don't know if you've seen any stuff like that yet, claiming to be you know fathers of players, saying that stuff. I mean, we're we're getting enough angles of this to obviously have some sort of indication that there's got to be a truth to a majority of these claims. Yeah, it's not, it's too much. I mean, you had, there was a report. uh, I believe it was during the preseason that he was already rubbing some coaches and players the wrong way. Okay, fine. Then, I mean, you've had all this stuff happen. You've had uh, staff members left before the season even started. Two of them did the chief of staff and uh, one analytics guy. They were like, I'm out of here. They saw what, you know, the Tim Tebow drama, Chris Doyle, um, how he's handling everything inside the facility, which none of us really get to see that, that are not part of the team. Um, not part of that staff. I mean, it's unbelievable, uh, just how bad it's gotten. And I, I think it really started snowballing when he didn't fly back with the team. And since then he just has not been able to, to get things on track at all. I mean, yeah, they beat the Bills, but they really lucked into that. And I would say Joe Cullen is the most responsible for that Bills win. And the Dolphins were just playing terrible football at the time that they were able to to beat them. Um, and, of course, both of those teams have kind of gone on some nice runs here. But, uh, yeah, this this holding people accountable, 
it's not 1989. You can't be Jimmy Johnson and just having these tirades. Like you have to be able to hold people accountable in a way that you don't degrade them beyond having any confidence in themselves. And you, if you're going to hold people accountable in a very stringent or strict or aggressive way, you have to be accountable yourself. That's the last thing he's been over the last several months is accountable. Yeah. Rule rule number one of being a leader is you hold yourself to a higher standard and in a higher, not regard in the, in terms of like, I'm better than you, but you hold yourself to a higher standard than, than everybody else. You know, you, you have to demand more of yourself than you're demanding from everyone else. If you want to, like you said, hold people accountable, hold yourself accountable, hold yourself even more accountable. Understand that all the struggles that are going on with everybody else, yes, they have their struggles, but those struggles are on you, man, as the head coach. Whatever struggle Daryl Bevel is having as the offensive coordinator, that's on you. That's your offensive coordinator. You brought him in. You built this staff. You know, it, it, it all comes back to you. No matter what happens, it all comes back to you. And this is night and day from what we used to see. We talked about, you know, the differences between past regimes, Doug Marone, Urban Meyer. It was all Doug's fault. Every time, that's on me. That's on me. He said that a million times during press conferences. And you almost kind of get this sense that I think at, at first, Urban was kind of trying to be transparent. But it seems that that transparency has morphed into obviously blaming because that's what it's come out to now. It's, it's just blaming. It's been re- competed. I'm, I'm sorry, um, consistent and repeated Time and time again, and then you add the abrasiveness in, you add all that stuff, and people aren't going to stand for that. Like I said, it's not 1989. Twitter, media, everything is so much more available to everyone else. These kind of things are going to get out. You can't just be, you know, this, this tirade control a guy. And, you know, even if you were at that time, you have to adjust as the times change. People change, culture changes, players change. The, the business changes, man. These guys aren't making $5 million anymore. They're making $35 million. And 32 other teams, 31 other teams out there are going to pay some of these guys. They have no issue with just up and leaving your ass if you're going to be a jerk the whole time. So you've, you've got to make some changes as a person. And I think this directly goes back to the way he was able to run a college program as a dictator you know, overseeing coaches who have higher aspirations in the college game, overseeing graduate assistants and everybody else on that staff who have higher aspirations than where they are right now. They've got to kiss ass. They've got to make things work because they've got to climb that ladder. This is the NFL. Nobody needs to climb your ladder. Nobody needs to kiss your ass. They will find other jobs. Some of them, not all of them, but they will find other jobs. Players, will <laughs> A lot find of them already are finding place. other jobs. Right. So, uh, you know, and, and we, we could go on about this forever. I mean, we could talk at nauseum, at lengths. We could have a three-hour podcast just on, on this whole situation and where everything's going wrong. Just, I, I, the, the thing that, that, that creates the most trouble for me is I think at this point they're selecting who they want to speak, which they usually do anyway. I mean, I know that, but – Usually, you've seen it even even with 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 John Gruden and and the way that his time ended uh, in Las Vegas. You know the despicable things that were said. No one is defending him for that. But I mean, Derek Carr, me, the man that he is, guy that he is. I mean, not necessarily people are defending him, but they still come out and talk about these coaches and and you know defend the maybe small amounts of of goodness still left or, or you know who they are as a person or this. Nobody said anything about Urban Meyer. 
unless no. asked, unless provoked. You know, they had to ask Shaq Griffin, "Do you think Urban Meyer's lost his team? Are you still behind him?" What's he supposed to say? Straight out there, nah. We all hate him. We want him gone. You, you, like and he, he didn't say anything positive. No, he just well. I mean, he said he said we're all we're, we are still with him. You can't come between a coach and the team, which depends on how you want to look at that. I mean, he didn't he didn't say anything damning, but he did. Yeah, he didn't say, oh yeah, Urban Meyer's our guy. We're right. here to win for him and play for him. So I mean, take it how you will. I mean, I'm sure they're also you know this sucks. You're two and eleven, and 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 you're not playing good football. And like you mentioned, there is no. There is no platform to stand on when you're coaching a two and eleven football team. I mean that, that honestly just makes it worse. But there's been no defense. There's been nothing that's that's been quote unquote leaked or even come out in, in any other light besides the negative one that we're seeing right now. So you would think at some point someone, something, somewhere, in some way would leak out a shred of support and that just hasn't happened. Even the worst guys get some of that sometimes. Yeah. The only guy going to bat for Urban Meyer right now seems to be Brady Quinn who's just calling out the local media in Jacksonville for just uh, for being mad at Urban Meyer for not getting these big-time interviews and leaks and stuff with him. It's like, dude, the national media is what's making these stories. Come on, get out of here, man. Anyways. Now, well, I, I, now see, this is what I thought about earlier. There, I mean, there is some slight, not validity, to, to his explanation for this because that's obviously just BS. Like, yeah, we're, we're very clearly – just here to burn down Urban Meyer. And like, you know, half of these local media guys he's talking about, we all love this team. We want to see this team succeed. I hated the hire of Urban Meyer at the time, but I got behind it because I wanted my Jaguars to succeed for so long. However, he is right. And, and Khan kind of pointed and alluded to this a little bit. I know we're going to get into shot Khan here in a few minutes, but the polarizing effect, the polarizing person that is Urban Meyer. I mean, we knew this was coming. We knew everything was going to be exploded out of proportion but when you make the decisions that he's made so far, I you know it it just it, you're not helping yourself in any regards. No matter how much attention that you're going to bring to yourself for who you are, and and that's part of why I think we brought him here. It's obviously you know turned itself into a much negative light, but we'll move on. Yeah. So as you said, Shad Khan, he came to town on his beautiful yacht, the Kismet. Came down, chatted with Urban Meyer, his coaching staff, the players. He even invited local media to his uh, his beautiful yacht. Had them there for some uh, some nice finger foods and for a little press conference time there. I did not get the invite. I'm not sure why. Thanks a lot. Let's talk uh, to the brother Tony. Make sure that they got her address right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think we can both agree before we talk about what Shad Khan talked about yesterday. There's no path forward for Urban Meyer from from our perspective as the Jaguars head coach moving past 2021. Is that correct? It's correct if all of this is true. Now, we obviously both believe it's true. Every indication points to it being true. But until we have, you know, a, a direct confirmation through a, you know, through an, a public source or some sort of, you know, you know, physical proof, then I'm I'm not completely sure, and I'm not completely sure that 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 they're convinced of that either. I'm talking about the guys in the organization. I mean, well, I think all the people that work directly with him are convinced of it, and and that may be. Um, regardless, I think this chat, the staff needs an overhaul anyway before next season. It's it's. Obvious that it's not going to work out, but I don't think that 
anyone else inside that building, at least people that matter, you know, and, and, and Shad and Tony and, and probably some of their guys, I don't think that they're convinced that this organization has no direction moving forward with Urban Meyer. I agree that it doesn't, but my opinion doesn't matter. I, well, no, I'm not I'm convinced. asking you your opinion. Oh, then yes, yes. There, there, there's no way, in my opinion, that you continue this tirade. I mean, you're not going to have anybody wanting to come here in free agency. And let's be truthful, you're not going to turn this team around just with draft picks. Yeah. And so the ultimate question now is, will Shad Khan come to that conclusion at season's end? Uh, you know, people thought maybe he was coming to defend Urban, maybe to fire Urban. No one really knew what was going on here. Uh, he talked about Trevor Lawrence, which was interesting, which we'll get to. Um, but first, we have to talk about Urban Meyer, of course. Uh, I just want to go through some of the things Khan said, kind of break them down here. Um, he talked about how a four-year build was absolutely a trap he did not want to fall in. He didn't say that he had already fallen into it at once, which of course he did with Dave Caldwell and um, Gus Bradley, where they pitched that you know complete teardown. It's going to take a long time. We're just going to build through the draft, yada, yada. Obviously, that didn't work, so Khan's out on that. I think that's encouraging that he's learning from his past mistakes, it, seemingly. Would you agree with that? I, I definitely would, and and like you mentioned, I mean, in today's NFL, you don't need a four year rebuild, and when you have a guy like Trevor Lawrence fall into your lap, you cannot take four years to give this guy some help. You cannot take four years to put a winning team around that guy. So absolutely, that's just that's just ridiculous. Yeah, and then he says the plan is you need to start winning now, and tell me. He's saying this to Urban. Tell me what you need, and that's what we're going to do. He says, I feel we have a roster that is far better than winning two games. So in my mind, that's already establishing that he doesn't think that the job done by the coaching staff this year has been acceptable. And I think that's another big step. It is, but again, you know, you always have to cut off the head of the snake. And it kind of seems like now he's just trying to find a way to remove the ugly parts of the body and kind of, you know, uh, put lipstick on a pig, I guess you could say. Perhaps. He said, what concerns me is obviously wins and losses, but hey, we're sitting here. We haven't had a lot of wins. What's different about this thing is you have losses and you have drama. In the past, it was like you were, were the lowly Jaguars and everyone left you alone. Now, with the scrutiny we have, it's really something different. Um, I think this is another big thing. Shad's dealt with a lot of losing. He hasn't dealt with a lot of national media drama. Um, the last time it really happened was with Jalen Ramsey, um, with the whole him uh, you know, demanding a trade, but also the Tom Coughlin situation uh, after that was really the biggest um scrutiny that the Jaguars have come under during Khan's time as the owner, uh, where Tom Coughlin and the Jaguars were basically blacklisted by the NFLPA. They sent out that scathing letter uh, warning about you know potential free agents signing in Jacksonville because of the different things Tom Coughlin was doing behind the scenes, including fining players illegally uh, for not rehabbing at the facility, team facility. So I think him coming out and talking about the drama and the losses 
again, suggests that this is beyond what he's dealt with in the past for the most part. It is. And and I think at this point, you know, he's got to come to the decision on the question of, is the drama something that I'm willing to attack and, and deal with as it comes? Or, you know, am I not one for the drama and for the headlines and for the attention? And if that's the case, you've got to, you know, again, look back. What, who is the source of all of this drama, of all of this extra BS that I'm right now talking and thinking about? And I think that makes it very clear, you know, how to stop the bleeding is, you know, you put a tourniquet on and you let it go. And and so if he's noticing all this, you know, is it enough for him to not want to deal with the baggage of Urban Meyer? I'm not sure. Yeah. And he goes on. I think we have a history of looking at the facts and doing the right thing. Wins and losses. This is a little bit different. Again, he's saying this is a different situation. I'm going to reflect on all of that and do what's the right thing for the team and the right thing for the city. So for me, after kind of looking at all this, breaking it down, I think Shot is going to learn from his past mistakes of keeping guys around too long, taking half measures. Look, this is an owner who hasn't completely cleaned house since 2013, which is unbelievable. In 2013, he fired Malarkey, fired Gene Smith, brought on Bradley and Caldwell. Uh, Bradley lasted the better part of four years. Caldwell continued with his job as general manager after he brought in Tom Coughlin and promoted interim head coach, who was part of Gus Bradley's staff, Doug Marone, to head coach. And then, of course, you have Tom Coughlin getting fired after the NFLPA coming out against the Jaguars. And you still have Dave Caldwell in power. And Doug Marone lasts um, four years as the head coach in Jacksonville. Uh, he hasn't and then hiring Urban Meyer, you thought that was a big splashy move. It was. They still kept Trent Balky around, who was the personnel guy and the interim GM after Caldwell was fired. So he, this is a guy, Urban Meyer, I mean, excuse me, Shad Khan, who has not completely cleaned house since 2013. Um, he's now talking about things and dealing with things in year one that he's never had to worry about before, and he's openly admitting that that that's the case. Uh, he didn't come to urban's defense really in any way uh, when talking to the media yesterday. To me, I think he's being patient about this one. I think he's going to take his time, think about it, but I think he's starting to realize that they're basically getting to the Tom Coughlin point where you're not going to be able to hire coaches. You are not going to be able to get quality players in here if Urban Meyer is here. We're getting to that point. Um, and I don't think he's going to be able to operate this franchise as a, you know, <laughs> as a legitimate NFL team with Urban Meyer in place. I think he's coming to that realization. I think it's just going to be take a little bit longer for him to get to that point than it has for most of the people in Jacksonville. Yeah, and I mean, throughout his reign here in Jacksonville, only one coach has had the one-and-done treatment, and that was Malarkey after his 2-14 and 14 season. And even Malarkey didn't get shut out that year. I don't know how. And if I remember correctly, did Khan hire Malarkey? Was that his first head coaching hire, or was Malarkey technically hired by the Weavers before they sold the team? I believe – I believe Khan hired him. So Khan was the hire and fire. Okay, because it was obviously going to be dependent on whether or not this is the first time Khan has to potentially hire and fire a coach after one year. But either way, if not, it's happened at least once before. But 
there's just so much. A long time ago. Yeah, it, it wasn't, and you've seen, you know, just the just the disgusting amount of carryover from regime to regime. I, I think that you, at some point, should have completely cleaned house, like you said. Most times you don't see stuff like that. I mean, you see everyone go at the same time. We completely clean house. He wants to build some sort of consistency, which I think is great. Look at all the the NFL franchises right now who are on top. Most of them have some sort of consistency in the front office, head coach, down through the organization in some way, shape, or form. Now, obviously, you're going to strike, you know, fire, strike a match once every now and then and get something rolling. The Chargers are kind of doing it. I know they've had a lot of turnover, but they have great personnel. You know, you don't have that here. And and it's it's really tough to build that consistent long winner, like you said, when you've had the bumps along the way that they've had that have turned players and coaches and, and staff away from Jacksonville. I don't understand how Trent Balky got the GM job. And we talked about this before. I don't understand how he tricked his way into that job. He must be a smooth talker. But I think the the God's honest truth was that Urban Meyer was going to be CEO, head coach, personnel, the whole nine yards. And so I didn't really think Trent Balky really had much say in anything anyway. So be it a puppet head or whatever you will, somebody is not checking Urban Meyer. And I think that's the biggest problem too is, is no one's checking his reign. No one's checking his decision-making. He doesn't answer to anybody. And when he does, if he answers to Khan, no offense to Mr. Khan, but he doesn't have, I don't think at least, that complete knowledge of the NFL and the inner workings yet. I just, I, I don't. They didn't really have a lot of experience before this. It's just so much that you can point to and just say, this this attributes to to the issues that we're having. This contributes to the issues that we're having. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. The one thing that I will um, not necessarily agree with you fully with is not wanting, not, not, not being able to get people that want to come here. From a personnel standpoint, yes, I agree. You're never going to attract the big names, but it's the NFL. You're always going to find somebody who wants to play. It's not going to get you anywhere. It may get you to, you know, three and 14 next year. And, you know, the, the quality is obviously going to diminish. But on the coaching side of things, you know, there's only 32 spots for head coach. There's only 32 offensive coordinators. There's only through 32 defensive coordinators. It's so it's, – it's everyone's dream and goal to get to the NFL. So you won't have any issues, I think – Getting guys that are going to come and give it a try because they have to. People have to make that leap. But again, Urban wants the best of the best, and if right. not, why not? Exactly. What's the quality? What's the quality now? You're 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 bottlenecking yourself. So again, I mean, you've got to weigh the pros and cons. And the more we talk about it, I don't think we we've, we've listed a single pro. I mean, you can pull out small pros here and there, but just look at the list of, of cons that are that are stacking up and and not shod cons. Bad things, C O N cons. I mean, these are these are. It's a list of bad things that are going to come with this. And you know, I I I completely I'm completely okay with him taking time to make sure that he makes the right decision and, and really you know as long as he thinks it needs to take before at least next season, take that time, review it. Firing Urban Meyer right now in the middle of a two and eleven season with four games to go is going to bring you nothing. I, I really don't think it's going to bring you anything. But however, once the season does wrap up, maybe you gotta bring some clarity from the. If he's not looming over Daryl Bevel and Joe Cullen, maybe you see what those guys can actually do. And I'm not saying that's going to change the offense or you know improve the defense at all because I I do think Urban pretty much stays away from the defense. 
I wouldn't mind seeing what Daryl Bevel can do as an offensive coordinator without without Urban Meyer breathing down his neck. I wouldn't mind it. I, I see, but I don't. I don't. I don't think that's the case at all. I personally don't. I don't think it's Urban breathing down Bevel's neck. The man doesn't even know who's playing half the time. I understand what does, you're saying. Again, that was on defense, but I don't believe his presentation of himself to the media. Right. I think so, it's complete BS. I think he is absolutely undermining these things that are happening. I really do. Yeah, and, and I think the James Robinson benching revelation is a perfect example of that. Yeah, and that's perfectly well fine because I was going to say right after that is that, however, if he is putting on this persona that he has no idea what the hell is going on and he's an A-list actor and he really is, like you, you know, you're saying – kind of hovering over these guys and, and having an issue with their schemes and, and is more hands-on than at least I think he is, then yeah, you know, I I, I personally don't see it because I, I don't think he's ever been heavy-handed one way or the other. If anything's, you know, he was heavy-handed in special teams at times. Um, you know, I mean, he always He's admitted he pays more attention to the offense, but... And that's fine. I, I mean, I get that, but how much... I, I really don't know because even in college, he always had the benefit of having great offensive guys with him. And I don't think, I think he benefited from that. I think honestly, right now, Bevel was a bust hire. Now, again, this is all my realization and my thought. And obviously we don't have to agree on that, but I don't think he has, I I truthfully think he's just so freaking clueless. I I truthfully do. I think he's so freaking clueless. I think the last couple weeks he's probably at it. We've seen a lot more of that RPO stuff. We've seen a lot more. So I think maybe in the last couple weeks that he's potentially had a little bit more hand in in the cookie jar because he kind of has to i mean that the pressure's mounting and everything's mounting and it's only making it worse i agree with that but i don't think their bubble is a very good offensive coordinator I, right now as it is i don't either i'm not trying to say that go joe Collins though very I am, Joe Collins. i am trying to say i think that i wouldn't mind seeing what daryl bevel could do without urban meyer but what do you think it would look differently? Just out of, I mean, general curiosity, just part of the conversation. Do you think it would – like what do you think that that Bevel would bring that I Urban Meyer I think there's a potential out? for more cohesion. Yeah. I just – I think that's possible. I don't that's know. Fair. But I think it's even deeper than that too though. I think because you look at – you look at some of – I mean some of the scheme stuff you see on you know tape that just goes so so poorly – it's you know receivers All not the running receivers routes, running right. into each other, yeah, it's not into the wrong distance. The spacing is right. Spacing so, yeah, so I mean, and, and some of that stuff, I, I think if if Chenault does end up over the top and it forces, they were in a, they were in a, a a cover two zone in that in that one play where I think Chenault and I think it was a Treadwell that he took out, and so there's a guy playing underneath them. Both got, the guy over the top and the guy underneath are going to have to choose, you know, based on the out and the in cut. There, if you don't run into each other, you might have something on that route. So. Maybe he, maybe to Daryl Bevel's defense, you know that everything else below him is even so bad that he that he can't get a functional scheme out there as it is. Yeah, I mean, so, it's I mean, it, it, it's so, it's so bad we don't even know what the hell the problem is. Like that's the craziest part. So you yeah. can't you can't even look at it and say, you know, there's the problem playing his day. I mean, it all originates there. I think it's just everything trickling down. I do too. Oh. Um, and I I'm saying it right now. I think. Unless somehow the Jaguars just start winning games and have a really impressive finish to this season, which would be like the most shocking thing I've ever seen in my entire sports life. Unless that happens, I think Shad Khan is going to fire Urban Meyer at the end of the season. I think he is understanding 
kind of the bind that Urban Meyer is putting this franchise in. And I think he can relate it to what he saw from Tom Coughlin. Uh, and I, I think he's going to do the right thing at the end of the season. I really do hope so. I, I mean, I really do hope so. I think the only saving grace Urban Meyer has is, I mean, truthfully, see, in my opinion, if, if he were to win out, if he were to win out, shut everything up, figure it out, and win out, then I could look at it and say, okay, I could stomach Con keeping him. Not that I want him to, but I, I'd be able to stomach the fact that the pressure was on. He made a change. Things have worked out. But I agree. Unless you went out at this point, there's no way in hell you can keep this guy. Yeah. There's absolutely no way. But how much, you know, is there is the pressure, how much does it really get to Con? How much does the outside noise really get to Shad Khan? How much does he really I care do think enough he about the pressure of the city? I think he wants a winner. And I, I know it's easy to say he doesn't. I, I just I think that he does care about this franchise a lot more than the results would suggest. Yeah. He's he's pulled out the stops in a lot of different ways over the years, and he thought he really believed Urban Meyer was going to be that guy, and he's just not. Um, we'll see. We'll we'll see in in about a month uh, if if they're going to continue on with Urban or if uh, if Shad's going to pull the plug after year one. Now, one thing Shad Khan's not going to pull the plug on <laughs> is Trevor Lawrence. He talked about him a little bit. Said I think he's vital. Look at how he's handled the last week, and I think it's exemplary. I have nothing but the utmost respect. I've got to tell you one thing he told me the very first time I met him. If you pick me, I'm going to retire a Jaguar. And Khan says, I hate to say it, no one's ever said that to me. Well, the fact that no one's ever said that, that is kind of sad. But the fact that Trevor said it, I mean, you can take all this Terrible drama, the losses, Urban Meyer just being uh, a, a magnet for drama and controversy, but that should give you some solace moving forward. I'll be 100% honest with you. Until you just said that, I had never heard that before. I never heard that quote. I never heard uh, – how, how did I miss that? It was yesterday. Oh, that's what – oh, he came out and said that yesterday? Oh, okay. Well, that makes a hell of a lot more sense. I was like, how on God's green earth? Oh, well, that is, yeah. I mean, first of all, like you said, to have no one ever say that before about the Jaguars, at least to him, which I believe, obviously, it, it's tough, but it just shows you the consummate professional and just the kind of person Trevor Lawrence is and the leadership and just what this guy is made of. I mean, he has everything. We know it. And now just to understand his affirmation to the city to the franchise to football to to being a quarterback it's not too big for him it's not too much for him there's not an ulterior motive to this i mean he just wants to be here he wants to win i think he wants to be the guy that brings a franchise back i think he wants to be that guy and it just goes to show that we cannot screw this up like if you force this man to request a trade or, or to want out or to refuse to play for anymore like you have got to have hit rock bottom or done something completely just out of the out of the ordinary and just completely blasted this thing into the sun. Which I that's what this first season has been. It's what it feels like, right? Or at least we're on the, the track to getting there. But I, I here's what I do if I'm con. All right. Black Monday. I'm not firing Urban yet. Season just ended. I'm bringing Trevor into the office. I'm sitting him right down in front of me. Just me and Trevor, nobody else. I forget Urban. I'm not telling Urban anymore. I knew you so he already said he already said to Urban, tell me what you need. 
we'll get it done. I'm saying this to Trevor now. You are the only thing that's important to this franchise right now. You are everything that we have. What do you want? What do you need? You tell me and we do it. That's what I'm doing. I don't care who. It doesn't matter. Nobody else's opinions matters. You sit that young man down. You tell him, whatever you say, we'll get it done. Here's the checkbook. Let's go. Yeah, I think you treat him like an NBA superstar, exactly like what you're saying. And he's got the perfect personality to be honest with himself and to be honest with Shad Khan, I think, and to you know give some some good advice to the owner and to really help push this franchise to you know potentially maybe a place it's never been. Um, and, and I think that you can take solace in the fact that Trevor Lawrence is is your quarterback and, and that he wants to be here. Follow us on Twitter, J- Jeremy at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo and generation Jaguar at generation Jag. So now we can just get into some general talk about what we saw last week. Um, the Titans obviously lost 20 to nothing or excuse me, the Jaguars lost 20 to nothing to the Titans. First time the Jaguars have been shut out since before Shad Khan even bought the team. Uh, last time was 2009, it's frustrating that the defense seemingly gives up a long drive to begin each game. But overall, that defense is still playing well despite the struggles early on in games, and especially considering that the offense is just doing nothing. thought DeWan Smoot had a monster game. He was in the backfield all day, got a sack. Uh, it, it was an encouraging effort. I know the Titans were down Derrick Henry. They didn't have A.J. Brown, but um, I still think that defense fought, and I think it was a pretty well-called game. Yeah, uh, before we get into that, that was a hell of a conversation we just had, by the way. That was a hell of a conversation. But getting to the Titans, it's tough. It's tough to see the defense that has improved so much encounter to the offense that has regressed so much, play so well and so hard. And yeah, like you said, no Derrick Henry. So things could have been different. But, you know, they, they stepped up. They kept the team in the game. From start to finish, really, even at the end, 20 points. I mean, obviously, at the end of the game, 20 points is out of hand. But second quarter, third quarter. I mean, it was I 10 mean, to 0 in the third quarter. Yeah, being down 10 and then 17. I mean, there was still so much time that if the offense just finally started clicking, the defense could have made a stop or two and we'd have been right back in that one. And it kind of felt like that all the way until about the third quarter. I just couldn't watch it anymore late in the third. It felt like they were still there. There was always that... Slight glimmer of hope, even though I knew it wasn't coming, that the offense would come to life out of nowhere and start you know, making things happen. Kudos to Joe Cullen. Kudos to the defense. Kudos to those guys for fighting. And honestly, right now, at 2-10, and 10, to see them and in that game, 2-11, and 11, but at the time we were 2-10, and 10, right, at 2-10, right. and 10, seeing them in that game still fighting, and I know Urban Meyer alluded to it in the post-game press conference, they were playing their asses off still. With the offense not doing anything at all, knowing you have really realistically no shot at the playoffs. It obviously wasn't literal until after the game, but you have no shot. There's nothing there. I mean, Shaq Griffin said it best. We still got to put stuff on tape. You know, some of these guys are going to be looking for jobs after this year. That kind of motivation, that that is is the only saving grace of this team right now. To see the guys still care enough to go out there and fight whether it be for them or, or you know, for the coaches or for their teammates, whoever it may be for, that they're still out there fighting. But just to take it all apart, I mean, why couldn't you do nothing? Why? 
You couldn't do anything. All you could do is nothing against this defense. You only ran the ball eight times. Gave James Robinson the ball six. Six. And, and yeah, two of the runs were off quarterback scrambles. They weren't even real. Like, called run play. I don't get it. It seemed like they weren't going to do that just from the get-go. Everything that the mean, defense did well and everything that they that they made us proud for was completely erased by the offensive performance. How could you not just give James Robinson the ball 20 times this game after everything that's happened? Yeah, I, I agree. Seriously, just get the ball. Tw- it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter how he's doing. He's going to break off a couple here and there. I guarantee you we get more yards than, than the anemic offense that we saw out there. You've got to at least... You've got to at least keep the defense guessing, even if the run is is so ineffective, which let's be honest, there since James Robinson has been the running back of the Jaguars, the run game has been anything but unproductive. He's averaged four something yards a carry for his career. He was in the fives this year earlier in the year. I don't care if you're only getting me 50, 60 yards a game. If we're doing that consistently, at least, you know, it, it may not be every drive. You might go and have a, a, a you know a, a, a bum drive here and there, but you're going to at least sustain some drive here and there with the run game. You're going to keep the defense honest with the run game. Even if it's only three, four yards of carry, they've still got to play the run so we can turn around and go deep. We did exactly what the Bills did a couple weeks ago and they came and played us. We completely disregarded the run game almost immediately and it backed us into a corner. It sure did. And, um, you know, Trevor... Uh, on, during the first drive of the third quarter, Trevor was 12 of 14 at, to that point in the game. And he had completed four passes for four first downs on third down. I mean, the guy was playing very well. And then you have the first interception, uh, which LaVisca Chenault just, you know, he dropped that pass. I'm not sure why Trevor threw the ball to him on that play. That was a screenplay to James Robinson. Um, it looked like it would have been open if he just dumped it off to James, like the play called for. Uh, but Trevor did throw it to LaVisca. It hit LaVisca right in the hands, and he couldn't catch it. Um, then you saw after that is when Trevor really started playing some hero ball. Uh, rolling out to his left, tries to hit um, Jadon Mickens deep down the field. Trevor pretty much, uh, he struggles rolling to his left and trying to throw the ball um, when he doesn't get his feet set. Uh, and that's understandable. You're throwing across your body. It's a difficult thing to do. Uh, but he had a chance to complete that pass if he would have released it earlier and gotten it a little bit further downfield because it was the underneath zone defender that was able to come back and get that pass. Um, so I would have liked to seen him get it out a little quicker or just be able to get more on it for to give Jadon Mickens a chance on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally have no issue with his four interception performance, and I'll tell you why. Like you mentioned, the first one, I mean, the, the offense was ineffective up to the point. They're not running the ball. All they're doing is throwing the ball. What what can you even do as a quarterback? And I do ha- I want to ask you, so – if you're running a screenplay like that and it looks to be open, why would Trevor throw to LaVisca on the little crosser right there? That's a really good question. I really don't have the answer for you there. The only thing that I could potentially think of would be is if he read man coverage and if it seemed like the linebacker was going to come down, 
Also, not having any confidence in your O-line. They had played pretty poor up to that point. All the holding penalties, anything that was positive was getting negated. He's already, I think, a little flustered probably at that point just due to the amount of pressure, the amount of times he's been hit. The only thing I can think of is you take the screen, right? The rush maybe gets released a little too early. You don't know if James Robinson is open. You can't see him for whatever reason. You don't want to just dump it into space, which a lot of quarterbacks uh, tend to do at times, and it obviously you know, does not end well. Um, or you know, he saw the coverage and and knew that he had Lavisca open right there, which Lavisca was open. I mean, for what it's worth, yeah, absolutely, he was he open. Caught so yeah, so I mean, I don't have any problem with you bailing on the screenplay if it's not there. And and it now he didn't. Like it was, but now, maybe yeah. there's just a thing where well, it, it may have been. It's I have to much look. going on. Yeah, you, for him I, at that point, I, I'd have to totally look. The only thing I think of, like I mentioned, is if if, it, if, he, if he reads man and he thinks that they have an unaccounted for. Uh, defender who is is going to make some sort of play and he's trying to get the ball out of harm's way or if he had trouble finding James Robinson in the mass of bodies and didn't want to just dump the ball over there. That's all I could really think of. But, yeah. but I mean, it happened. It is what it is. And, and that ball, you know, I, I didn't even read screen on the play, to be honest with you. I, did, I had to look back at it again. I was probably had my head in my hands at that point. But seeing that ball go through his hands, right into the linebacker behind him. You're right. That's kind of when it all just started to spiral downhill. And at that point, he was probably already trying to play hero ball, put the team on his back. They were doing nothing else. Rolling to the left, makes an ill-advised throw. Like you mentioned, you know, quarterbacks are usually going to have some difficulty rolling to the left and making that throw across, you know, across their body like that. But if he does put that ball 10 yards, a little bit further downfield into the back left corner of the end zone, it's probably a touchdown. So just not enough arm there. I think he knows now that he can't make that throw in the future. The or he needs to get set. Or, or set his feet, right? There was no chance to set your feet there on the run like that, probably without getting absolutely blasted. So yeah, just, get, destroyed. just get rid of the ball. But I guarantee you, we probably won't see that mistake again. Um, the other two, bad reads, pressure in his face. I mean, the man's running for his life back there. But I thought I it was a really weird play on the one where um, – you know, they were showing, I think, six-man pressure, and then the linebacker just dropped out. Yep. I don't know why the ball was going to that spot of the field, like why the play was designed that way. Yeah, it looked like potentially a little choice route. They do a lot of, of choice routes with the drags. If the defense drops into zone and they can find a soft spot in the zone, they'll just cut the drag and they'll sit right in the zone, which tends to work really well. What I think happened is – Again, coming across the middle of the defense right there. I don't know if if either – I can't remember who was running across right there um, that he was trying to get the ball to. Was it – I think it was either Tavon or Mickens. Mickens. I, I can't remember if it was Mickens. I can't or remember, but but either, way, either way. Maybe – and I have to go back and look at the film. This is me just you know kind of remembering what I saw there because this is actually the play when I turned the game off, when he dropped the ball right into the, to the dropping linebacker. That's when I got up and walked away. I think either A, Trevor didn't see him drop back at first, which is pretty hard to see if he's right in your face, but he didn't see him drop back at first and didn't realize the defender was there until he threw the ball. Or B, uh, the receiver was coming across the middle and sat, and Trevor didn't account for the you know the dropping linebacker and just, okay, he sat, that's the read, I trust the guy there, make that throw. Either way, it was bad. Whether it was bad on – it was bad on Trevor regardless, whether it was because he saw the, line, saw the receiver sit and, and thought that he was sitting that – he had an open 
zone and, and didn't see the guy right in front of him or he didn't see him drop out if he was looking surveying elsewhere on the field. But they're just bad all around. I mean that that's that was definitely an egregious one that you can't have. But again, when you've got I, a guy I still think the play was really weird. Like because you had the pressure coming, you had your offensive line sliding left. Right. You would think that if the pressure is coming from the right where the that's going to be the guy that's unaccounted for that's where you kind of want to throw the ball into, but you're throwing Agreed. it in the middle. I don't know why. Um, I agree. I thought that was, yeah, not a, not a great play design. I agree hundred percent. And actually brings up something that I wanted to get into and I'll get into it in just a second. Um, but, but basically what I'm saying is that I, I don't put the four interceptions on Trevor cause that man's just trying to make something happen at this point. Like it really, and I think oh, yeah. he knows that he can't throw that ball. Yeah. And he's not going to do it again. And, no. and the decisions, every time he's thrown an interception or every time he's made a bad player, bad decision, I still have yet to see him make the same mistake twice. He hasn't thrown it into tight windows that, you know, the, I, I don't think he'll do that kind of stuff again. He knows now, okay, I can't do that. He um, already knew he couldn't do that last one. He just, yeah, probably he was just trying to make it fit. <laughs> You're I mean, right. the game was trying over. to do something. He was just playing I, hero ball. Yeah, I, I can't blame you for trying to win when nothing else is going right for you. However, yeah. this Sunday actually is, is a perfect example for when everybody wants to sit there and say, well, Brandon Linder really doesn't bring that much to us anyway. He's always hurt. He never plays, blah, blah, blah. Tyler Shatley just as good. I told you guys, and I, and I know that you know, and I've said it a million times to people who want to say that. You don't understand what the center is to the offensive line if you're saying that. The center is the quarterback of the offensive line. The center gets the protection set based on where they line up, the mic when it moves. He sets everything for the protection. He identifies the mic. He gets the running back set. Everything goes through the center when you're talking about pass protection. So on Sunday, it seems so many times that they were leaving free edge rushers when they didn't have to. They were only bringing five, and I don't know if they thought there was going to be a blitzing linebacker, didn't have the back in the right position. That is all on Brandon Linder. That's all on the sender. And Brandon Linder has been a stalwart on this offensive line for years. He's had his injury issues, but we know he's one of the best centers in the game when he's playing. And if you go back and look at the games where he did play versus the games that he did not play, I guarantee you you're going to see more breakdowns and protection and more uh, you know incorrect blocking schemes than when he is on the field because that is exactly what he does. You mentioned it right yeah. there. Free rushers off the edge. Cannot happen in five man pressures. And I think all four of Trevor's interceptions. Well, on it, Sunday, that one was a six. Okay, so in three. But there's it was, it he was also six has man the pressure. Highest. And so you have only five guys in to block because mm-hmm. you don't have a back in the backfield. And they slid left, mm-hmm. which it's fine. You know, the free rusher is going to be coming off the edge. You have to get right. the guy that's closest, you know, to the quarterback. Absolutely. But then the ball needs to go. There needs to be a a route for where that blitzer is coming from. Yeah. And, and, and so and again, you're right. You know, you're exactly right. When you have a six man pressure and you don't, and you only have five minute protection, you leave the guy at the edge. It's the quarterback's responsibility. We got to get the guys right in front of us based off the strength. They could have gone left or right there and left the edge guy off. That's near here nor there. But Trevor Lawrence has the most interceptions against a five or less man pressure defense. So if you go back and look at some of that stuff, some of the ones that he threw, on Sunday, with pressure, we're against five men boxes and five man rushes, and some of those came with free rushers. There's no, absolutely no reason at all whatsoever if a defense brings five that you cannot at least match it up with your five offensive linemen. I'm not saying you can't let somebody get beat because somebody's going to get beat. These guys are getting beat left and right, 
We know it. We've seen it. But you have to at least count account for these guys. And there's no situation ever if a defense rushes five that you cannot account for them with your offensive line. That's poor coaching, and that's poor. It's either poor coaching or it's poor uh, realization or recognition of what's going on pre-snap, and that falls on the center. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like you said, Andrew Norwell struggled. I mean. Jeffrey Simmons is an absolute terror, and so is Aaron Donald, who they faced the week before. I mean, you saw what he did on Monday Night Football. He began the game with the sack, ended the game with the sack. He's unbelievable. Jaguars aren't facing Aaron Donald in Week 15, so that's good news for the offensive line. Uh, Before we get into that Week 15 matchup, I want to talk about the draft just a little bit. Obviously, that's something we have to keep an eye on. Uh, from a Jaguars perspective throughout the rest of the season. But if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen. We really appreciate the support, Jacksonville. All right, so I dropped my top 25 big board for 2022 today for the NFL draft. You can check that out, genjag.com. The Jaguars currently are sitting at three. um, And of course, they face this week the team sitting at two. So whoever wins that game, uh, they're going to obviously get a W in the win column, but they're going to take an L when it comes to the draft. Um, so, you know, take that however you want to in terms of if you want the Jaguars to beat the Texans or if you want them to lose to the Texans. Uh, I kind of am neither here nor there with that one. I'm just, you know, it doesn't really matter to me if they win or lose at this point. You just want to see Trevor play play better and look more comfortable. Uh, but yeah, the Jags sit at three. Um, I still think if you're at three, Evan Neal is likely the pick the Alabama offensive tackle. We've talked a lot about, um, cause I think Neal and, or excuse me, I think Hutchinson and Thibodeau are gone. If either of those guys are there, I think that's still the pick. We talked about that last week. Um, but for me, regardless of what you do in free agency, if it's Evan Neal and uh, Kyle Hamilton and Derek Stingley there at the top for you and the edge rushers are gone, I think you go Neal still. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, and, and the Jaguars are going to be in that top five regardless. So it really just depends on who falls to you. If, if it works out that one of those top edge rushers don't go one and two, you've got to take one of those edge rushers, I think. And then from there, anywhere else, I think it's um, – you know, obviously very clearly Neil and then Hamilton or Stingley. I'd probably lean, lean Stingley um, personally, just I think we need more help on the outside. But our safeties are bad too, and we don't even play the ones that we have. So I, it's so tough. But yeah, you know, depending on how free agency goes, even if even if you sign two or three offensive linemen, which I think they have to, I think they, I think they do because I, I obviously I don't know what they do with Cam anymore. I don't know if, if Norwell wants to come back. I don't even know if these guys will want to sign a contract here. But you got to go out and overpay for some of those guys. And then again, we talked about this last week: depth. It's never a bad thing to have depth, and I think the Jaguars are one of the teams around that don't have depth at all whatsoever. You see one person go down, especially on our offensive line, you're kind of like, ah, crap. We've got a major weak spot there. You need depth. If you can keep one of these guys, Cam Norwell, and and somebody like Neil comes in, or you know, some free agents come in, and, and they beat them out. There, you've got some depth. Not a bad thing. Evan Neal is a freaking monster. Like, just unbelievable athleticism for his size and his strength and the way he moves. I mean, there's not a lot of guys like that. He he looks like a Werfs. He looks like a, 
uh, you know, uh, Stanley and, and just some of these other big name, younger offensive linemen in leagues. I mean, he, he rivals all of them. Yeah, he's going to be, I think he's going to end up being a dominant force on whichever O-line he ends up heading to. And, you know, out of those top guys that are available, he's the only one that will directly help Trevor Lawrence on a play-by-play basis, being the only uh, top offensive player, at least for me in my top five. The, the top offensive player besides Evan Neal for me is going to be one of those receivers, Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks, um, so, and I don't think you take them where the Jaguars are going to end up. But I think uh, talking about the draft, the Jaguars need to plan to attack wide receiver and offensive line and free agency so you can go into the draft feeling like you can take more of a BPA approach, really a team-building approach. I think if you do take care of wide receiver and OL and free agency, that doesn't mean you can't take a wide receiver or an offensive lineman in the draft. It just means you don't have to. Yeah, I mean – it. You don't have to. You don't right. have to force it if you don't need to, or if you, you if it's not the right spot. Hundred percent correct. Hundred percent correct. Now the only thing I have a problem with that is I I just don't I don't anticipate the Jaguars being in a place where they can say oh well this isn't the right spot right to force something like you're going to be up top. Now what I wouldn't be opposed to, and I know this is way out of you know context because it's it's so far ahead and we have no clue how free agency and everything else is going to go. But let's say the Jaguars do somehow have a great uh, free agent. Hall. <laughs> Let's say somehow, some way, people decide they do want to come here, whether it be the Jaguars are just overpaying everyone a ridiculous amount, which that, that might be what it comes Very down possible. to. But hey, guess what? Good thing you can do that because you're going to have so much freaking money in the bank. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to the Jaguars moving back. Depend, you know, if you fall within the first one, two, or three, there's always going to be a team who is is clamoring to get up top for whatever a quarterback completely, completely would be a very ill-advised move, at least for this class. But someone's going to want to do it. Someone's going to want to do it. I think the Jaguars, depending on how everything else squares out, could be in a prime spot to potentially gain some extra draft capital either for this year uh, or you know a big move for future years. If you do this right, if you put all the puzzle pieces right, you might be able to turn this around next year and, and really skyrocket the year after. I mean, it, it just sucks that we were saying that last off season, but now you just got to delay it another season there, but look for the Jaguars. At least I would hope to be big time movers in this draft back up all around. They got to make some moves. Yeah. I, I'm not patently against moving back, but you got to get a haul because I feel really good about the guys that are going to be there at three or two or whatever they're at. Um, and I just think it's going to have to be a real haul. And what's interesting here is that the Eagles, the Jets, and the Giants, all three of those teams have two picks right now in the top 11. If one of those teams really wants to trade up, that's who I'm looking at because then you're, can you steal both of those top picks? Yeah, I've looked at that. I don't think any one of those teams will move up. I don't think. Obviously, the Jets have Zach Wilson. The they're Giants for a quarterback, right? Sure. The Giants have Daniel Jones, and they're not. Who knows how that's going to go? This is true. However, I don't foresee them wanting to move on from Daniel Jones for anybody in this draft class, especially when he has one more year on his rookie deal. I think that's something they that would probably make a move for next season if it goes horribly wrong. The Eagles obviously have Jalen Hurts. 
um, and and even Gardner Minshew. Uh, so they seem to be okay with that. Yeah, That's they'll probably being. move forward with Hertz for right. for at least next season. Yeah, you're right. But if you could get one of those teams to do it, I would love that. Um, I think they may be looking also to potentially do a little bit of movement because you have to, or they're not going to have any interest in moving up because they don't need a quarterback. They're going to pack on some picks for whoever they have, at least in my opinion. So you yeah. might have somebody who says, okay, look, these three teams have six picks right here, and they're about to just tear up the entire thing. We have got to get ahead of them to get the guy that we want. We know they're gone. Someone's going to be desperate enough, I think, if it lays out like that, to make that jump. And like I said, it's got to be a haul. It's got to be a massive haul, and it's got to be you know coinciding with what you did in free agency. But you tell me right now, would you rather have – you know you're going to get – Again, those top five guys we talked about are, yes, in a whole different other level. But let's say you bring in one or two of those top-tier free agents, which we haven't done in the past, so we're speaking out of our ass here. But let's say you do. I'm okay with that and moving down, maybe getting you know an uh, extra pick for this year, having two or three of those you know, top 15, 20 guys this year along with the free agency class, and then hopefully you know, a top three pick will bring you – some extra draft capital for the following year to add some more top-tier talent, kind of like what the Cowboys did back when they got rid of Herschel Walker. Now, granted, it came with Emmett Smith. They already had Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, a little bit of a different scenario, but stuff like that to where you can really set yourself up for you know, a complete turnaround in, like I said, two years. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. Um, Jaguars do have a game this weekend, like we mentioned. They do? Texans are coming to town. Exciting stuff. This is the toilet bowl, right? <laughs> I think that's a demeaning and, and insulting to toilet bowls, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> uh, <sighs> so, yeah, honestly, at this point, this game is pretty much an afterthought for all parties involved. Other than the players, I'm sure they're going to bust their ass all week. But uh, the Jaguars are favored here by three basically a push because the home team usually gets three but my goodness i mean the jaguars were absolutely smoked by the texans in week one do we really think the jaguars are better now than they were then i don't but uh, i don't think the texans are better either they're probably in a worse place too yeah that they are they're definitely worse but the jaguars are worse and if you'd have asked me a couple weeks ago i would have said there's no way in hell uh that we get just whopped by the texans again and and it's because they caught us off guard week one and we kind of saw that, and and you know the Jaguars improved their play a little bit over the next couple of weeks, and it was it seemed like at the time was just going to be you know one of those just week one surprises, you know kind of slap in the mouth games that kind of wake you up and get you right and make you realize that football's here, baby, and we got to be better. But since Seattle, you know, I think that was really the turning point. Things have gotten way way worse, and the, the Texans aren't going to have Tyrod Taylor. They're going to be rocking with Davis Mills. They're not very good either, but. Just seeing the dysfunction in this organization week in and week out, I mean, I really truly don't know if they can beat anybody right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, the Texans, uh, you said no Tyrod Taylor. Davis Mills is doing the best he can, doesn't have a lot to work with. The OL is cratering in the middle uh, when you talk about trying to get the run game going. They've got nothing going on there. The passing attack outside of Brandon Cooks is kind of barren. You do have a couple young guys you like. Nico Collins is a rookie wide receiver from Michigan. Great size, explosiveness. He's done some things recently. And then um, Brevin Jordan tied in the Jaguars. Could have drafted last draft. Instead, they, of course, drafted Luke Farrell. 
Uh, but Brevin Jordan was on the board. He's been scoring some touchdowns. He's been doing some nice things. And Jordan Akins is a guy that's always given the Jaguars some trouble at tight end. So, yeah, I, when you look at this on paper, not a very threatening receiving core, not a very threatening running game. But can the Jaguars contain Brandon Cooks? Can they slow down these tight ends? Can they do anything offensively? I, I don't know. Questions that we don't have the answers to. And quite honestly, you know, I, I find a hard time even trying to say yes to myself. Um, but I think an interesting thing that we're going to have to watch is this this COVID stuff that's going on in the NFL right now. I mean, Schefter came out earlier and said that they're expecting 30-something more positive tests today. All four of the Miami Dolphins running backs are on the COVID list. Um, I mean, things might get a little crazy here. Is there any chance? We just chance- cancel the game. That's what I was – I mean <laughs> – Call me crazy, but is there any chance that the NFL just puts a halt to this week and and picks it up next week? I mean, there are – I think they had like 50 positive tests today or something like that. I mean, I don't know what's happening. It's got to be this this Omicron variant or whatever is going around. But, I mean, it's it's getting a little crazy. It really is. Let's just Um, push it back a week. Let's, you know – at this point, honestly, if you just gave it to the Texans and we didn't have to watch the ugliness on Sunday, I'd be okay with that too. Let's go ahead and get our draft stock up. And uh, I don't have to watch that. Be I don't think the hours. Texans would be cool with that. They probably wouldn't, but Hey, we're Jaguars <laughs> fans. So whatever. Screw them. I don't, yeah. Don't put me through that misery for four hours on Sunday and improve my draft stock. I'd take it. Yeah. Um, one positive note for the Texans defense, is their rookie or second year edge rusher out of Florida. A lot of people probably know Jonathan Grenard, He's doing a lot in terms of pass rush, uh, getting a lot of pressures, getting some sacks. So that's that's been a cool thing for for them, I'm sure. They're trying to glean some positives just as much as Jaguars fans are. Grenard is certainly one of those. But other than that, not a whole lot going on on defense. Jeremy, you had the Titans losing to the Jaguars last week. We have pulled even on our predictions this year. We're both 8-5. and five. Is either of us going to pull ahead in week fifteen? <laughs> no, they burned that bridge. Um, I'm not picking. <laughs> I'm not picking the Jaguars. I I don't care if the entire Texans team goes on COVID list and they've got to bring in the University of Houston to play on Sunday. I would still not take the Jaguars. I mean, it's bad. We are at a low point. I think in the franchise right now, as crazy as that seems, not necessarily when it comes to talent, but just when it comes to the overall state of the team, and that's with Trevor Lawrence, and that's with all this good stuff that we thought we had coming. They've done nothing to to show me that I should give them any sort of benefit of any doubt, and I'm going to pick the Texans, and I don't think it's going to be considerably close. I think the Texans are going to have their way with the Jaguars, and, and, and why not? You know, honestly, they they've scorned me to the whole opposite end now, and 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 I think the Texans are going to blow out the Jaguars. They're going to win decisively, and so is everyone else from here on out. I mean, I, I don't see anything changing, man. I, I don't. I mean, it sounds crazy to say, like, yeah, Texans are going to blow out the Jaguars. Guess what happened in Week One? They dropped thirty-seven points on the Jaguars. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I've got the Texans as well. I don't think it's going to be a blowout blowout. I just think it's going to be a really ugly game all around. I've got Texans 20, Jaguars 10. Um, and, you know, neither of us is going to uh, going to make up any ground in, in the predictions column here. But 
who knows? Maybe the Jaguars can pull one out of the hat. Um, Something tells me we end up going to this offseason tide. Doesn't do matter Jaguars, what it is. Do Jaguars fans want the Jaguars to beat the Texans this week? Do they want the Jaguars to lose so you can get rid of Urban Meyer? I don't know. But uh, I think either way, the Jaguars probably are going to lose. I'm no longer in in the let's just go ahead and lose you know discussion situation anymore, though. That's one thing that I will say is that regardless of everything, you know, I don't care about having a higher draft pick anymore. We've got Trevor Lawrence. There's there's nothing out there that we need more than anything to to turn this franchise around, or at least so we thought. Now, can you improve? Yes, you can improve. I think if you draft the right people and you have a competent scouting team and a competent general manager and a competent person making these decisions, you'll improve regardless. You've got the most important position figured out. So at this point, I don't want the Jaguars to lose ever. I mean, truthfully, that's just the way I look at it. I don't care if it's for potentially, you know, giving Khan an extra incentive to boot Urban Meyer, um, or if it's for us to just go ahead and get, uh, you know, a, a lock on a higher draft pick. There's no need for that anymore. It just it pains me to see them still struggle like this. I don't know how any Jaguars fans at this point are still rooting for the team to lose. I know why. I can I'm understand to- why. I can. I can't. I, I, I'm not. Uh, my main goal as a fan is just to have Trevor Lawrence find some footing and uh, play a decent game. I don't really care if they win or lose. Um, I think just getting Trevor on the right track would be huge. Yeah. You, that's tough though to do though. Like, you know how I, I, I don't expect them to be able to get him on the right track at this point. I don't either. Absolutely not. I'm not saying that. This season, (laughs) You no, know, that's no. what we all want to see. And that that's yeah. the only thing that mattered in this season. Didn't matter if we went 17 and 0 or 0 and 17 as long as Trevor Lawrence improved, put up good numbers and showed that he was developing as a quarterback and now we're 2 and 11 and we haven't seen that. We've actually seen the opposite over the last 7 weeks. So you can only hope for I think positive things right now because you need something positive. You need something positive. If you took away all the names from this team, you would think this is nothing new. It's just the same old, same old, but it should be different. Even worse than the same old, same old. Yeah, even worse. Absolutely. Even worse. And a team that has one more win than the team from the previous year, for us all to sit here and say resoundingly that we think this team is worse than the team last year, especially at this time after watching what they did as a defense – after watching, you know, just the lack of ability to again put up points, but at least the offense could move the ball and put up points at times. It gave you a chance to win at times. I mean, it's just it's baffling. It's baffling for us to sit here right now, look at where we were ten months ago, and know that we're feeling this way and that this is this is the reality of the situation. I mean, it's it's terrible. It sure is. It hurts. It does. And that's gonna do it for the show. I mean, I would like to remind everyone. Jeremy and I did make a little bet last show. <laughs> I have Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau going top two. He thinks there's going to be a shakeup at the top. We will see how that plays out. Um, I, I sh- have to – hold on. Before you yeah. – I do have to – and I know I didn't explain that, and it doesn't matter anymore now. However, that has to be understood that if the Jaguars are not in the top two, because if the Jaguars are in the top two and they pass on one of the defensive ends, and that's the reason why they fall – then we are going to have some major. Hey man, major you never said that issues. before. I did not. I did not. But I was in my mind <laughs> under the assumption that the Jaguars will be at number three. 
Okay. Because if, like I said, if, if they're at number one and two or, or, you know, either one and, and they are one of the reasons why that defensive end falls and we have bigger issues, but I know I didn't say that. I'm just clarifying my thoughts. Yeah. And it now does appear that because the strength of schedule keeps changing based on the um, week losses, to week, yeah. it appears that, um, the Jaguars are ahead of the Texans. Going who who do the Texans week. have left? I don't even know who they have left. The Texans. Well, it's strength of schedule for the whole season, but right. Um, but does doesn't it? Isn't it based on the the final wins and losses? Yeah, it is. So the Texans have the Jaguars, obviously. Right. Jags, um, Chargers, 49ers, 49ers and, and Titans. Titans. Well, I'm if, and if they all beat the Texans, that will improve the strength of schedule. Right. So. But the yeah. Jaguars are gonna their their strength of schedule should also improve. Yes, based on true. losing as well. So this is true. Uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, honestly, whoever wins that game, that's probably gonna be the team that falls behind, and the tiebreaker probably won't end up mattering. Yeah, that's right. I didn't think about that. Let's uh let's see if the Detroit can slip into another win on accident. Yeah, I mean, very possible. Those guys do play hard. They're not very talented, but they're they're giving it all for Dan Campbell. Yeah, well, I apologize for hijacking your exit, but please continue. No, that's great. I'm glad we, God, we looked at that a little bit. But yeah, shout out to Bold City Brewery, one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. Shout out to you, Duval, for enduring this just horrible, terrible decade plus of Jaguars football. But again, I'd like to remind you, you do have Trevor Lawrence. There is hope. Um and and we'll see we'll see how this all plays out on Sunday and over the next month with the Urban Meyer saga. But thanks so much for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. And go Jags. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.